This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. Folks here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTKA.com. Sam Webb, Mr. Ira Weintraub on the other side. He's in the bottom corner here on the YouTube channel. And then, of course, the MGO Blog Roundtable crew from MGO Blog. Excited that they have their latest preview edition out and available. Hail to the Victors 2023 outstanding. They do a great job every single year. They do a great job every single week on the roundtable. Starting off first with the man who started it all at MGO Blog, Brian Cook, BC. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I wouldn't get this edition of Hail to the Victors. It's really depressing. (laughs) (laughs) We had to write about uh, the upcoming football season and it's like, oh man, this is going to be a doozy. (laughs) I don't know what the the Northwestern equivalent of Hail to the Victors would be. Bring your champions there. Our meet 2023 is probably not a cheery place right now. But anyway, but it is a definite, definite banger of a magazine. You guys, you you did a great job even when there wasn't a lot to, you know, even when we weren't talking about, oh, they're going to maybe win the national championship. It was always an exciting read. A year where they're expected to contend for a national championship, though, Seth. I- again, it makes it that much more exciting. I've got like uh, these. Go I, I've got these. You know, no one can see it on the radio, but like I've got stacks over here of back issues that people wanted to buy because people are like, I want to read the 2014 one because they, you know, they didn't read that one because what was the point? I didn't read the 2021 because you know, I wasn't really excited for that season. You know, um, a lot of people didn't buy the 2021 one because they weren't that excited for the season. And then I went and looked looked at some of the pages on like, and then like the the first article in 2021, it's like, hey. We're not going to beat Ohio State this year, but <laughs> right, <laughs> right. No, it's a different. It's a different day. So we don't get it uh, all right. Yeah, I know we we talked about it uh, again, but it bears repeating. If if folks want to get their hands on this year's edition and and maybe highlight uh, some of the the great features that are in the magazine, lay it all out for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, just go to mgoblog.com in the upper right hand corner. If you're on your mobile, just scroll down. You'll see the links for it. You can buy it. Uh, you can buy a digital copy, which is a PDF right now. You can get the Kindle edition that's on Kindle right now. It's a little bit extended because I lost lose all the images in the process. Um, print edition. We're going to be a little tight. I The most I can print, I got another 200. I created an interest list. The interest list filled up immediately. So print editions are going to be hard to come by. When we do get those in a few weeks, um, I'll probably put them online. And if you jump on them, you can get one. But there's only going to be so many. We're going to sell out of these really fast. Uh, but you can definitely get it on the, uh, the digital edition right now. You can get the Kindle edition right now. Uh, I think this is probably our best one yet. And I don't just mean like, 
you know, you go through the positions and we start with the quarterback and go down to the defensive backs and you don't really get a position where we're like worried about something until the like end of the um at, like the cornerbacks, the second cornerback. And it's funny because we get to – there's one piece that we, we do every year. It's like, you know, the offense overall and the defense overall. We get to the offense overall, and usually that's like, okay, what could go wrong? And it took us forever to get this article out because <laughs> there's nothing we can think of. Yeah. It's just like – Injury. Injury is really <laughs> – no, I know, but right? like injuries happen to everyone. It's like it's, it's right. uninteresting to talk about it because it's like if injuries happen, here's the backups. Well – other than JJ, you know, okay, we lose Blake Corum, a Heisman candidate. You don't want to do that. What happened when we lost Blake Corum last year? We still beat Ohio State. We still won the Big Ten, right? So I mean, you got so many players that could step up for the guys. The only positions I think that were really – you don't want to take a hit are safety, cornerback, obviously, and quarterback. You know, that everything else has, you know, at least one more guy who can kind of step in and be – close enough to the starter that you're not going to have a major drop-off. I mean, you're not going to replace Blake Corum, and arguably we win TCU if Corum's there, but doesn't matter. Like, that, Edwards is great, right? And they have other running backs now. Um, we have an article that Scott Bell put together about how you use those two artic- those two running backs together. I think it's fascinating, especially because I personally love wheels. Wheel routes are like my mm-hmm. favorite play in football. And he's just like, what does Michigan need to do? Wheel routes. Because what, what do real routes do? They make your running back or your tight end lined up against somebody who can't cover him well. And that's a, you know, it, we have the guy that throws it downfield. Yeah. That's how Donovan Edwards is going to get over 1,000 yards this year. Wheel routes, splitting them out. He's going to be, he's gonna be a, a bigger piece of the pass game this season than he was uh, last year. So, you know, Blake will get his 1,000 and, and Donovan will get his combined 1,000 and uh, that that offense is uh, it's gonna roll. It's yeah. gonna roll. Can't wait. Uh, a lot to look forward to. If you haven't gotten your copy of Hail to the Victors, you go to mgoblog.com. Now we, you know, obviously there are some folks who who like to have the physical mm-hmm. magazine. I know. In there. I know. I, what does that timeline look like? Oh, man. All right. So we're we're looking probably late July for me to have them in hand. And and I only have 2,200 copies. The problem is we use too good a paper, and no one produces our paper anymore. I don't want to get into the whole story, but basically Time Magazine stopped using high-quality paper. And once they were not using that paper, no one was producing that paper anymore. They just make smaller pieces and sell them for the same price. So next year, we're going to have to go down, and we'll be able to print a lot more. This year, we were scrounging up the last of the good stuff to like have the high-quality book that we always make. Gotcha. All right, folks, mgoblog.com. Be sure to get your copy of Hail to the Victors 2023, a great guide to help you get ready for this, what is looking like is going to be an outstanding football season. But Brian, back to your your intro. Not looking like it's going to be an outstanding, I guess it wasn't looking like it was going to be an outstanding year anyway in Evanston, but certainly not looking like it's going to be an outstanding year now. How surprised are you? by the the revelations of what took place for basically 17 years that that uh, Pat Fitzgerald was the coach down there. Well, on one level, you can't be surprised, I guess, because it seems like every university has this issue. <laughs> and uh, on another level, though, it's, I mean, it is remarkable how probably people, a lot of people in the culture didn't think that anything was wrong with it. And I think we're learning this a lot about various institutions is that there's always someone 
doing something and there's a lot of people enabling that and i don't i don't know man <laughs> i don't know what to do about it except is when these things come to light get the student newspaper on it i guess because they were going to try to get away with a two weeks of suspension in the middle of july for these kind of things and then the i don't know what it's called i think the daily northwestern gets on it and they get and then Fitzgerald's out the door. So it's, um, you know, these days with newspapers being pretty much gutted across the country, like the, the student newspaper is going to be able to do some remarkable work. So kudos to them. And uh, Sharon Moore, don't take that job. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, you know, I think that's a, it's obviously a name that they would be interested in, but as we'll get into, because I want to definitely talk the Michigan angle, Michigan side of this, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't for a guy with with his ceiling as a coach and the kind of job that he'll be able to step into if he waits for some of these other ones to open up. Is Northwestern doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But getting back to Brian's point, says so there was an investigate. They they hired a firm to mm -hmm. do an investigation. This firm finds 11 players that corroborated the uh, the whistleblowers uh, accusation. Yeah. So, yeah, so the hazing took place. And then, uh, like Brian said, they they were going to do this two week suspension because uh, Pat Fitzgerald didn't know about it, according to the report. Right. So what that said to me, two things. One thing it said to me was the scope of the investigation was very narrow. Mm -hmm. They focused on. The, this instance of hazing with this with this team, maybe it's the couple, the last couple of years, this this window of Pat Fitzgerald's tenure. They didn't go back to 20, uh, right. 2008, 2009. They didn't do that. That's number one. Number two, man, like Brian said, they thought they were going to just be able to dump this on a Friday. He got suspended and that was going to be it. It was going to be it was going to be glossed over. All the student newspaper did was talk to the whistleblower. And put it out for everyone to see. And they shamed the president into taking further action because there were no new revelations that forced him to make that decision, caused him to make that decision. I mean, when you look at, um, well, when's the last time there was a coach who coached over a decade and then there wasn't some sort of scandal that came out that was just happening, right? I, I you know we're we're starting we're, Harbaugh's starting to get to that 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 point, but like he's been under the heat so much in that time that I I we might be in the clear because we had the bro thing happen while it was there, but like you know you look what happened in under 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 Schembechler's, uh regime, he was there a very long time. You look what happened in D'Antonio, you know the stuff that was going on at the end of his career. Uh, you look at Paterno, you look at Kirk Ferentz when they had all that stuff going on, right? Like. The coaches who are there for a long time, who get established and become a program into themselves, it they start to get this feeling that I'm invulnerable, that everything I'm doing is okay because I've been doing it long enough. What, they cannot do this. I am this program. And at that point, it's hard for people inside the program, people around them, to to like point and say, no, you're – you you can't do this here, right? Like, this is this is awful, and hazing is always one of those weird things. I joined a fraternity when I was in college. We hazed when I I got hazed when I was a freshman, and then when I was a sophomore, I was part of the group that got rid of hazing in our, our fraternity. Um, and I remember a lot of the pushback I got from that was 
based on I went through it. I thought it was funny. I was fine. And okay, so yeah. can you can you talk about so what was yeah, I don't mind talking what about. was you can't share what kind of I, I, I don't mind sharing it. Some of it, most of it's just dumb. Like they they told us to bring um, I, I don't want to share all of the secrets and whatnot but right. like every day of hell week you had to bring like a, we had to go to the go shopping for a bunch of stuff and most of it ends up in our underwear and like one time like after one day of this they told us to buy a carton of eggs so one of my pledge brothers had the idea of hard boiling the eggs so <laughs> when they went on there we were told to put them on our heads and then you know they're just hard boiled eggs and then one of the brothers was mad that we didn't bring the salt we sent us out to go get salt it's supposed to be a bonding thing. It's supposed to be like, okay, we're all going through this together, and like we all bond together. And what it ends up being, somebody can't control themselves. Somebody, it, it, it triggers some piece of some uh, inside humans where you just want to be cruel to people and be down on them and treat them horribly. And it always happens. And there's always like one brother in the fraternity or one you know former player in your who who overdoes it. And... Everyone just kind of talks about it, and everyone lets it go, and everyone, and it's really bad stuff that they that they can do, and that's why these that's why you need to get rid of this thing is because you can't See, control here's, everybody. Here's, here's the thing. So what you described, hey, you know, kudos to you for for getting rid of that. I've heard of that type of hazing, yeah. right? You, you you do things to to kind of put the youngsters in their place. They might have to carry bags. They might be taped to a to a goalpost, you gotta they, sing, they do, you gotta you get yelled at, you gotta stand yeah, in place for a long right. time, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But this is different, right? I mean, this, you know, in a in, in a sport where you know some of the stereotypes are, are about you know hyper machoism, right? And we we know this is this is one of the sports where it is deemed most difficult for an athlete to come out for the sexualized nature of this hazing. Mm-hmm. Is I, I mean that's what because I. They were like, well, Pat Fitzgerald is from a different time. I don't know at any time where, where this type of hazing would have been something where it's like, yeah, that's cool. That's funny. Like, <laughs> this, this seems like it's on a different level of, of egregiousness, at least to me. It's, Brian, it's never it, supposed to come out. That's the idea. The whole idea is that you're, you're never supposed to talk about it afterwards. And it's supposed to be see, so I've like... Been, I've been in, I've been in locker rooms. Yeah. known a lot of people in locker rooms as well, college and pro. I've never heard of Something I'm like this. De- I'm not defending it, but I and, and you know, but I. It takes a lot of forms, and that's the point. That like once you go and look at it, because the whole point is to like not talk about it, so like keep it, you know, within the brotherhood, right? It can take forms that are absolutely awful, because the whole idea is coming up with something that you're that is awful. That what you're what you're doing ultimately is doing something horrible to somebody or what they consider horrible, right? And so that. Someone had that idea once, and they went with it, and then it became the thing. But, like, whenever you uncover this box, whenever you open that Pandora's box, it's going to be ugly. And it could have been something else just as ugly. And the whole idea that Pat Fitzgerald didn't know. I mean... <laughs> and see, that's why that's yeah. why it, it was clear to me that they, they never... Because if, if you go back to 2008... And he's talking about he didn't know in 2008. Well, there's strange credulity then if if he didn't know for 17 he years. Played there. He played there. He probably right? hazing. He probably got hazed himself when he was a linebacker at Northwestern. Yeah, well, that's the other thing, Brian. So it's Northwestern, right? So you you apply that stereotype. This is he said. That, you know, we recruit captains and honor roll people, and you know, it just doesn't. And then he's supposed to be this clean cut guy. 
This is the the total antithesis of what that school and what that coach seemed to stand for. And that's another thing that makes it so jarring that this happened at Northwestern. Right. So now moving forward, what caliber of job is this? So let's let's go there. This gets us to Sharon Moore. What caliber of job, what caliber of coach do you think Northwestern will be able to lure? Um. I, I think their best option is a retread who wants to cash out. So a guy like Sharon Moore, at some point in the near future, he's going to get a job at a place that hasn't recently gone one and 11 for two <laughs> or three years. Right. Like that has the worst recruiting profile in the, its conference. Although Mel Tucker is doing a good job trying to change that. <laughs> um, you know, and they don't even get the benefit of the Big Ten West anymore. So that kind of ability to pop up and miraculously get to a Big Ten championship game is pretty much dead and gone at this point. So it looks like a kind of job where any up-and-comer who has the idea that they're going to want to take some jobs and then get to a terminal college job, they're not going to want that. Mm. But um, a guy like maybe Wake Forest, Dave Clawson, who's done a great job at a very difficult place to win, um, probably doesn't have the upward mobility at this point in his career, or Willie Fritz at, I believe he's at Tulane now, who's done a great job at a lot of small schools, but is 63. Um, those guys could be looking at the contracts that Big Ten schools are able to give out, and they're like, yeah, let's do that, even if my chances of doing a great job there are, are a little remote. Um, so I think that kind of, they, they can get a good coach, uh, but I just don't think they're going to get like the offensive coordinator who's a hot name. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Seth, your your opinion on the caliber of job Northwestern is and the caliber yeah, of coach. I, I, Northwestern historically was a better job than it looked that it projects to right now. The problem is that everything that's happening in college football is going against Northwestern, right? Like it's it now you have to get more transfers in. Northwestern has a lot of the same problems that Michigan has with transfers. They're like one of other two only other schools that have Michigan's problems with transfers. And I I know they get some guys in, and then like I went and researched which guys they got in and how they did it, and it was like they did the same kind of Apollo thirteen level troubleshooting that Michigan has to to get to, to do that. Um, so you don't have access to the transfer portal. Everybody else does. You don't have the Big Ten West to sit in anymore. You're going to have you know a rotation. A, a rotation. You're going to have to go out to California and play. Uh, but you still are in the Big Ten, and you still like you know if your end goal is to be a Big Ten coach, they have a lot of money, right? And Fitzgerald made a lot of money. So I don't think that it's necessarily something like the hottest coordinator would go for. But if right. there's somebody who's up and coming, he's a little young, and you know you didn't really want to try it yet. But now is your opportunity to like have an idea. I think that this is a great opportunity for Northwestern to try somebody who's got an idea, who wants to have a different system or different way of approaching it because it's a new world and everyone's going to be battling in the portal. Everyone's going to be fighting over you know, guys that you can spend a lot of money on. And Northwestern really could be a team that tries something different and does things. You know, and they've always been that way. They, they were one of the first spread teams, right? 
They uh, mm-hmm. they they took um, they took on the uh, the hybrid uh, linebacker position like way before everybody else did. So they've all, always been trying interesting things there, and I think that would be the perfect hire for them. Now, if they don't get that, Brian's right. Like, there's other guys out there. They they could also just like take a Lovey Smith kind of guy who just you know lasts two years, and then then you get your mm-hmm. guy, right? So it depends what you want to do, but people don't. People forget that they have the same amount of money that every other Big Ten team has, even though they're Northwestern. So they could make up a lot of the difference with. Your- yeah. So here's the so the, the things some things that are different. You mentioned the the competitive balance in the Big Ten mm-hmm. much different. The portal different. NIL its influence that's that's different. Now Northwestern on the positive side of things, their facilities are much better than they were when when Pat Fitzgerald first took over. So they mm-hmm. they do have some things that would be appealing, but not to a Sharon Moore or Brian Hartline caliber of assistant. Because can you really use that job as a stepping stone to one of the points you made, Brian, looking at Northwestern over the last couple of years? There have been peaks and valleys in, or there were peaks and valleys in Pat Fitzgerald's tenure. But that was by design. He knew he couldn't recruit at the level that the, you know, the high-level Power Fives could. So you you get some of the lower tier guys and you develop them, right? Maybe you get a blue chipper here or there. You compete every three or four years. But things, this was a lower valley here the last couple of years than I think we've seen in his tenure. And I wonder whether he would he was ever going to be able to get it back to to contending in a more competitive, it's not the West anymore, but with USC and UCLA in the mix now, it's I mean, the it pushes Northwestern down a rung. And I just don't know that that that's a job where you can achieve even the Pat Fitzgerald level of su- success anymore. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Um, and the other thing you're looking at as a guy go- coming in as a coach is that it's extremely likely that you're going to be having a lot of home games that aren't home games. Right. Like, that's just it's a situation that you walk into and it just doesn't I don't think it has a lot of appeal for someone who has bigger ideas than I'm going to coach Northwestern for a paycheck. <laughs> right. I'm right there with, so if I'm, if I'm Sharon, you, you hang out and say, like, I think his name was thrown out because he's a hot assistant. He, he, he's well known in the Chicagoland area. That's his, his recruiting territory. He obviously big 10 familiar, all that. It, it makes sense for Northwestern to be interested in him. But the other way around, a coach like that is not going to look at Northwestern as a destination job. It, it's a stepping stone. Is that a job that will catapult you up a rung? And I just don't think it is. If you wait, there are going to be some Louisville caliber jobs out there. West Virginia's going to come open. You know, Missouri could come open. I mean, Missouri's SEC, but still, West Virginia is one that I look at. Um, Boston College is going to come open. I think that's a better job, even. I mean, there's some easier, better jobs that are going to come out that are easier stepping stones for a more for a heartline. To me, Northwestern is either looking for a hot position coach at the power five level, a hot coordinator at the group five level or head coach is looking to step up or the retread that might be looking for another opportunity. So Ira brought up Paul Christ, guys, and I think Paul Christ would take that job in a heartbeat. Yeah, he would, but that would, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where's Jim Leonard right now? 
I don't know where Jim Leonard is. That's, I mean, that would be the guy I would, if I was Northwestern, I'd be the knife of Paul Chris back. Yeah. (laughs) He definitely knife Paul Chris, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, the only thing that like could convince someone who's a young up and comer to like take this job is if they are a Northwestern true believer. And Mike Kafka is a, there's no way, dude. NFL (laughs) offensive coordinator. There's no way. I know. But like that's that's the that's like the only thing I could think of is that if Mike Kafka just has a love for Northwestern that out like if he's Pat Fitzgerald right like Pat Fitzgerald had his flaws but from a Northwestern perspective he was never going anywhere else in his life so I I think that there's a like I said if you do think if you're a young coach who will do things differently this is why I kind of thought about Jim Leonard because the guy still runs a three four cover two like they did in the 70s right and and he teaches it well and he knows where the all the talents buried in wisconsin so he knows where to go around that area i think he'd be kind of perfect hire um and why would jim do it because you can it's not a bad lifestyle if you're thinking of like i want to get and most coaches do most coaches are like i want to get to the pinnacle and until i win i'm good enough to win a super bowl until i win a super bowl i've not hit my mark right but Leonard might be one of those guys who's like, I want to live in Evanston, Illinois, which is a gorgeous mm-hmm. town, right? I want to, and you get a nice house if you live in Northwestern and have a nice house, you know, and, and live in Evanston and raise my kids there. And, you know, if, if I go, if I win eight games every other year or something like that, or every you know, once every three years, and they're happy with that, like if that's where the expectations are, and you're going to be there for you know, the next 10, 11, 12 years or something, and that's going to be your career, and if you have success, success there, that's the other thing. If you succeed in Northwestern, people pay attention to that. More than they do at like Purdue, which is weird because Purdue and Northwestern are under more similar things than people realize. Uh but like if you win at Northwestern, people still remember that they were just dogs for forty years and mm-hmm. still take that seriously. So like, you know, people have stepped forward to the Notre Dame job from Northwestern in the past. Like it's it still has that, you know, if if you do well here and well is like eight eight and four, right? Then mm-hmm. we'll consider you for a major job. So I I don't I agree. Sharon don't do it, man. You could get the Michigan job next yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. look, and Hard I was talking to my, guy, yeah, I was talking to my guy at the SEC Network, and he was like, "Man, look out for Oklahoma." And if you hang out in a couple of years, if, if Brett Bielum or not Brett, uh, Brent Venables doesn't get it rolling, mm-hmm. you know, he could be. I don't. This is coming from SEC folks. So, if, if you're Sharon, you're making near a couple million dollars now. Uh, you can wait to see what better jobs will come open. And if you don't feel like better jobs come open, there are worse things than, you know, than making close to $2 billion a year as Michigan's coordinator. If, if I'm Sharon, like, I'm on the phone with any every NFL team that has a coaching op- op- opening every year and be like, let me tell you about this Jim Harbaugh guy. He is. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. I hear you. I hear you. No, but man, Jim Leonard. So I, that's not a name that I, but that actually makes sense. Because I think that so his the bloom is off the rose a little bit with with Jim Leonard. Mm-hmm. His own his alma mater wouldn't hire him, right? Right. And so you got to ask why. He was a hot assistant. He had some support within the university, and the talking coaching circles was that he knifed Paul Christ, and that's really going around. And so if you're Northwestern, that might be an opportunity for you who to get a coach whose profile is a bit damaged. Yeah. That's you a might not, not be a, a bug. If you know at Northwestern, they're like, "Hey, you knife Paul Chris, come on down." 
Wait, like, who? Didn't Paul Chris knife Paul Chris? Like, <laughs> so Paul Chris yeah. made a major mistake. Make, t- Paul Chris' biggest mistake was he bet his program on Graham Mertz. Yeah, and that was a huge, it was a, and then I guess his recruiting uh, sounds like that kind of fell off too. And he received some criticism. For, it's not like he did everything right. What I thought he had done enough. I mean, you're talking about a Big Ten coach of the year. He had done enough to have an opportunity to recover from the mistake. But the word that I got was Chris was like, I mean, uh, Jim Leonard was was definitely working the back channels to to knife that dude to the point where he didn't he wasn't going to get an opportunity to fix it. So I think that dude can coach now his his way, his style of offense is probably not the way (laughs) to to win at a Northwestern. Uh, But you got to figure that this time off and, you know, being an analyst down in Texas you got to feel like he's probably trying to evolve a little bit in that way. You know, the dude can coach a program. I think they could do worse than, than Paul Kristen and you'd be getting a guy who's going to come and that's a destination job for him. I mean, I guess, I mean, he does fit that retread, but I just feel like someone steeped in the Wisconsin way is just going to land like a, a wet fart in that program because they just don't have the horses, right? They occasionally have an inexplicable first round talent, um, but they don't have that culture that Wisconsin had with their offensive line where every offensive lineman in that state goes to Wisconsin. That's not going to happen in Northwestern. They've got, you know, a history of being like the spread team. They were one of the originators of the spread and, uh, I'm sorry, I got to pause it. No, no, you're, you're good. You're good. <laughs> we, we've had, I had Noah on the air. I've had Quincy on the air. We've had Gracie on the air. <laughs> they all make their debuts. Yeah. During the show, Brian. So it happens, man. You got to oh, give her a mic from time to time, bro. My, my, kid, well. my kid announced his potty training on the, on the MGO blog podcast one time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was good. I like that part. Yeah. yeah. So look, I'm not. I'm not holding Chris up and we'll get off of Northwestern. I'm not holding Chris up as like, this is the guy I'm holding him up as like, man, I don't know how much better they can do. <laughs> that's, that's really what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to me, I would rather take a chance on someone who has an offense that kind of looks like yours, which is why I miss, mentioned Dave Clawson because Clawson's done a really good job with not a whole lot of talent. Um, and that that program in the ACC has about the same profile as Northwestern. So that made more sense to me personally than, than going for Paul Chris. But I mean, it is, he is out there. Um, I, I wouldn't be my choice personally if I was Northwestern's yeah. athletic director, but clearly I am not. I give, I give, Chris, <laughs> a call. I give Chris Creighton a call at Eastern Michigan. Yeah. I mean, that, that guy, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's, I don't want to speculate, but it feels like, there's something terribly wrong <laughs> with Chris Creighton because why doesn't he get another job? Yeah, He's done yeah. the best best job in the history of Eastern Michigan football. Uh, I, I was just making a joke. I, I know nothing unsavory about Chris Creighton, but it is inexplicable that he's still there because um, it, it feels like at some point someone would notice this. Mm-hmm. He, and, and he runs a, a spread while he's basketball on grass all day. So, you know, that seemed to make sense. Uh, that they give him a look. So one of these schools uh, giving him a look. We'll see uh, what happens. Whatever the case, I think it'll be uh, them making a move for a permanent coach after the season. 
Um, the, the, the most intriguing thing about Northwestern right now is who's going to show up at media day to deal with the media. Are they going to, are they going to send this interim guy or is the, Did the they officially AD announce he's the interim? Cause I, I, I don't think no, there's no, an announcement yet. Has there? Yeah, they haven't. He's oh. just holding right. the ship above water at the moment. I just feel for those three players that they announced as their representatives that are going. Yeah. <laughs> Bad deal. Bad deal, man. We yeah. need to get to a break. You know, some interesting changes on the horizon. Um, when it comes to NIL, we've seen or we've been educated the last couple of weeks on uh, nonprofits and how they can affect the NIL space or how they can't affect the NIL space. Uh, and now with news this morning, uh, seven collectives, you know, combining their efforts uh, to to maybe bring some regulation to the NIL space. I wonder, will this be the thing? That brings some order to the chaos. I'll get you guys' take on that as well. Stay tuned here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTKA, the ticket. Does anybody Clear talk to Kurt Anderson? Man, no. <laughs> I've been um haven't reached out to that. Haven't reached out to Kurt. Um, I mean, I'm sure his t- his phone's blowing up from old Michigan guys yeah. right now, but <laughs> no, the tough yeah. thing is, you know, a lot of this seems to center around alignment too. Uh-huh. Just tough. So, no, I haven't made that call. Um, been reluctant to do so, but I, I will. Mm-hmm. I will. Um, yeah, all those guys kind of swept up. <laughs> you know, all those guys are, are swept up in that, too. Yeah. You know, Mike Jakian is a Michigan guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they clearly jumped over him. So I wonder, was that a, a Billy McColt type of thing? Whereas, you know, he, he would seemingly be the next in line, but because he had been there longer and – thereby therefore more attached to pat fitzgerald probably better to go with the the guy who hadn't even coached the game at northwestern yet in braun or they haven't named him but he's likely to be named right the idea is to distance yourself as much as possible from from the old staff because you don't know right you're still investigating you're still trying to pull together who's who's responsible and who's not but i mean yeah there's I, I would not be surprised. I like not casting stones. I'm not saying that that it happened. I would not be surprised that if you look into like 1990s Michigan, that there was probably some hazing going on every time. Or I, no yeah. doubt, no yeah. doubt, there probably was. But this is I just find this to be different, man. I so I, <laughs> so Devin. I was on the phone with Devin the other day. It was this day before yesterday? And he said, "You see Pat Fitzgerald because he must have been in a bunker somewhere." He said, "You mm-hmm. see Pat Fitzgerald got fired." Say yeah, I said, man, you hear about that sexualized hazing? He said, what? <laughs> sexualized, sexualized hazing, and then I went over all of the things that were said to have happened, and he was like, man, we, there'd be all kind of fights in the locker room if this happened in any locker room I was in, and that was my immediate reaction. Like I've I've heard of hazing, I've heard some of some egregious things, like you know, abuse and paddles and. You know, things that are abhorrent, but this is on another level from that, even, even yeah. at least to me, at least to me. Well, yeah, I, I think there's just this, the occasional locker room culture where it's just like, this isn't a big deal. It's okay. And it's like, no, it's not. You're weird. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Man, I, <laughs> I, I say again, I, this is not the, this is not the tenor of any of the hazing that I went through, but the whole point is to have it be abhorrent. So it's it's supposed to be awful, 
And whenever but you pull it, in, in, in a sport, in a sport where look, they yeah. homophobia is a, is a thing. Yeah, this kind of this kind of um, kind of demeaning kind of conduct, it, it just seems. I I'm not. I would not condone it at all. I'm just. I, I'm somewhat less surprised that it was like. I, I we're not on the official air right now, so it's like the dry humping and stuff like that. Like the the stuff that like simulates rape. That was. I it's it's awful. It's it's awful stuff, and I'm not that surprised that that's what because like it's that's the whole point is to have it just be absolutely something that you'd never want to talk about again. Oh. Yeah, man. Uh, I, uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah. hey, real quick, guys, just to uh, just to mention, since Seth, you had mentioned that you would not be surprised that there was hazing in the mid '90s at Michigan. Um, I can tell you from uh, that Chris Howard told a mutual friend of ours that no. Basically, his answer was, who the heck is going to haze Chris Floyd? <laughs> <laughs> he said, G-T-F-O. It did not, ha- that's, it did not happen at Michigan. That conversation apparently has been had recently. <laughs> that is true. I've heard many a story. Many a story about Chris Floyd uh, basically serving out his dose of act right. Yeah, we're on the radio and th- back on radio in about 30 seconds. Yeah, Chris, so I don't think that it happened, at least in that era. I don't think it was happening. Chris Floyd is still, I mean, he still looks like he had, like, I think, I think Chris has like some, some property down in uh, Columbia, like in, in what are those, like Medellin or something like that, right? I was like, hey, man, aren't you worried about, you know, the, the, the drug lords? But then I remember it's Chris Floyd. He's fine. You don't mess with Sam Jack Wallace, Sam. Uh, I, guess. Uh, I, I, I went to Medellin. It's actually really nice. <laughs> they got <clears throat> they got a couple of bad locations now, but it's a much different city than it was 20 years ago. And we are back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTK.com. Sam Webb, Mr. Ira Weintraub on the other side. And our guys, our fellas, our brothers from M Go Blog with us. Hail to the Victors 2023 is available. Seth, tell the folks again how they can get their hands on their copy. Uh, go to mgoblog.com and you'll see it up on the corner, or just go to mgoblogstore.com, or you can go on Kindle and you can find it there. It's called Hail to the Victors 2023. All right. So, uh, man, I got a real education last week. I, Seth, I can't remember if we got into uh, the IRS memo last mm-hmm. week where they basically told all these uh, collectives or all these schools that were looking at NIL as a tax write-off that that's not going to fly. And you know, to hear accountants talk about it, they are almost like, you didn't know this was never going to fly? <laughs> and I didn't. I thought it was good. I, I mean, you know, you you... You see the the different concepts out there, and it just seemed like okay. You attach to a charity, it seemed pretty cut and dry that you you be able to achieve what like in, entities like Hale were looking to achieve, and that has been brought into serious question as I've been educated now by accounts, including Ira's dad. Like you can maybe have a portion of uh, a contribution written off, but it's not like you can make a ten thousand dollar donation to uh, a collective to benefit a student athlete and have that the entirety of that $10,000 be written off or even most of that $10,000 be written off if the majority of that money was going to get into the hands of the student athlete, which yeah. changes the game. As the Ohio State collective said in the AP report, he said, it's game over for us. This puts us out of business. I mean, 
Ohio State was sloppy. Texas was even more sloppy. The uh, the the way they're putting it together, uh, there were some simple things they could have done that they just didn't bother to do. That Michigan was a little bit more on top of when they put Hale, uh, the Hale Collective together. Uh, but you're always going to have this one problem when you're trying to do it when you're trying to run a charity for any purpose other than running a charity, and that is you have the the value has to be for the beneficiaries of the charity. N- beneficiaries cannot be the people running the charity. So if you need to pay a, a famous person, right? Let's say you're going to go and pay Brian Cook to go and be the spokesman of your charity, right? You have to pay what Brian Cook is worth. You cannot use it. Two dollars. <laughs> that is not true. I'm just not a penny magazine right now. I know for a fact that you're that you're valuable, especially because you well, because I have to do all the speaking engagements now. So they're like, you know, if, if I could sell a Brian Cook speaking engagement right now, I could get top dollar. <laughs> mm. Sam, you're yeah, a deal. But but like, let's say you're selling a Brian. Let's say Brian Cook's your spokesman. You cannot pay Brian Cook. 90% of what your charity brought in in order to have him be your spokesman. You have to pay a you know a nominal amount and, it's, and they expect him to take less than his normal value because he's doing it for charity and he's going to get some nice you know value from it himself and and that's how you have to function. And the problem mm-hmm. is they cannot fit a gigantic NIL operation, like $10 million or whatever these NIL operations are, into that tiny little hole and and pay these guys enough to be valuable where there's you're not doing anything for the charities at that point. And when mm-hmm. and when they look at the and the IRS looks and like IRS looks at it and it's obvious they're not doing it for the charities. They're not doing it to like make the world better. They're doing it to pay the guys who are, you know, to pay the players. But you can fit a small amount of into into it. So, like you say, you can do a partial write off, or Michigan can be really nice to one of its donors and let them be the the person who donates all the money to that they need, right? But you could probably only get to like one point five two million dollars, and you would have to be doing a lot of charity work just mm-hmm. to use that as an excuse. Because again, the charity the value has to be going towards the beneficiaries of the charity, not the people who are doing the work. Yeah, Brian, this is um this is as much as we had to adjust our thinking about NIL and how much it would level the playing field, which we have obviously started making some we adjusted our expectations on that. Now Michigan playing catch up. This seems to to hinder the the catch up if you can't do this. This is gonna be to me one of the major components of the fundraising NIL fundraising campaign. And you don't have this uh, it's more of a setback for you know an institution like Michigan, and I think it would be for the the places, some of the places in the South that will just go back to business as it used to be. Let's hey, let's go to a church and run some money through a church and get it in the hands of a Heisman Trophy winner kind of thing, right? They they'll just go back well, to doing things like that. I guess. I mean, so that's so they give it to the church, and then that's tax deductible, I guess. And that's if the church, the church, then they they give scholarships all the time. They pay, they yeah, do things all the time. They've done no so. One, for- no one's going to investigate. Could you imagine being the 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 elected official goes investigates a church in the south? Good good luck with that. <laughs> well, in any case, uh, I mean, I, I guess that's a slight competitive advantage for people who want to keep it off the books. I just don't think it's a huge deal. 
I mean, if Michigan wanted to, they could turn their money cannon. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's some wealthy people who went to Alabama or Texas A&M or whatever, but like, this is the University of Michigan. If we were inclined as an institution to turn a hose of money on various football recruits, we could do that. It's not an issue of capacity. It's an issue of desire and will. Yeah, so I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do some some follow-ups and kind of ask more around, because I remember having a discussion with you guys about, hey, what do you think they're going to be able to raise in this fundraising campaign with Empower? You know, do you think it's realistic to say, oh, 12 to $15 million? That's not enough to to fund it, be, you know, past one year, but that was kind of my my starting point. I'm like, oh, they'll raise that with no problem. 12 to $15 million, they'll, they'll get that in this fundraising campaign. And as they've gotten into it, um, you know, I, what I've gotten back is that maybe that I was a little optimistic with, with talking about the ease with which they were going to be able to raise that number. Maybe they'll get there, but it's not going to, it's not like, you know, it's going like, you know, they made five, six stops and boom, they got it covered. Like there's work to do in that regard. And I guess I'm a, a little surprised by that, but at the same time, not when you can't have any of the contributions be uh, written off, which I thought was going to be a major component of, of them being able to raise that amount of money. I'm sure that that was, I'm sure that that hit them. I, I'm also, I imagine some of those guys who have that kind of money are, you know, have access to their own tax attorneys who probably were like, yeah, probably not going to happen, man. I don't know. Let me meet with Harbaugh. We'll figure it out. That might not happen. Um, because they, these guys have, they're not, it's not their first time working with money and, and trying to dodge taxes. I wish that people would just say, like, you know, hey, we're Michigan, let's just pay our taxes. Like, that would, that, that would solve the problem. Um, you know, we, but, but I, I understand. <laughs> like, that's a, that's an issue. So, the, the I think a, a, a part of the problem is that, like, they've been doing this for so many years a different way. And you're not talking about that many people. You're talking about a few very specific people who've had personal handlers who give money to the university as well as the as well as the football program. And in many cases, way more to the university than the football program. And they're used to having something returned. And then like the the things that they do for the football program, a lot of them have a thing, right? One guy is in charge of like I, you know, I provide them new lockers this year. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the guy who bought the lockers, right? And you come and meet them, and then they introduce them. Like, here's the guy who got you guys all new lockers. Yay! Here's the guy who bought the new banner. Yay! Right? Like, and you're the guy. And we've been doing it that way for so long that we're good at it. We're good at selling it. We're good at presenting it to them. And we've done a very good job of convincing them that they're very valuable to the program by doing this thing. And now we're coming to them and saying, stop buying a bench by a bench player. And that's something that they've always been against. So it's not that easy of a transition. And like one or two guys changing their minds could make a big difference in that. But I, you know, you look at Ohio State and they were able to raise a lot of money very quickly. Well, Ohio State's whole operation has always been geared towards the football program is the most important thing in the world. In Michigan, the donors are just not constructed that way and have not been handled that way for many years yeah it'll be interesting so yeah noteworthy that they they quoted the i can't remember the name of the collective ira that oh the ohio state uh non they're like we're done 
it's over for us. <laughs> we, we, we can't operate anymore based on this IRS memo. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what kind of impact this has uh, moving forward. It also will be in- interesting to see, maybe we can get into this next week. So the Champion Circle is one of seven collectives. And Ira, you had this, this article from uh, The Athletic is where it appeared, right? Uh, where these seven collectives have gotten together and they are going to try to regulate the space. They're going to try to put together maybe like a registry of uh, of reputable representatives. Uh, they are going to eventually, one of their core uh, objectives is to get revenue sharing, right? And now uh, they're a long way away from that. But this sounds like to me, guys, it's not it's not a union, but it sounds like it's like the 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 foundation, if you will, Seth, for maybe pseudo union down like because the, the only way that you're gonna be able to you know compel revenue sharing is you got the threat of something like yeah. what can you withhold in order to compel them to give you a piece? Well, sounds like they're starting to maybe not unionize, but kind of pseudo union operate. I mean, sometimes you can do the same exact thing and avoid the word because the word is the what scares people, and and the operation is very, very, very common. It, like, you're, what you're doing, right? Let's let's just be honest about what we're doing right now. We're going from a communist system with a huge black market to a capitalist system. That is what we're transitioning to. And how does capitalism maintain a balance of power between the workers and the work? They have unions, right? That's why we avoid communism because we have. People, the workers get together and say, look, we're valuable and we do things this way. Now, we have more than that, right? We have trade shows and we have industry organizations and we have, you know, all, we have lots of different ways of handling these uh, before it just gets down to, like, you know, the brass tacks. Um, now, the big piece, the, the thing that they're going to fight over is TV money, right? That is a piece that yeah. the, the players have not gotten. All they've gotten so far is NIL, which was something that like Olympians have had for years, right? But they, the and and obviously we're driving a truck through that because that's not enough. Now for it to be enough to get to the point where other things, where, where functions like the NHL functions or functions like any any of the other leagues do, you have to give the players a piece of the main pie, which is the TV money. The players are going to are realizing this. The only way for them to get that is to have some leverage, right? And the only way to have some leverage is to do that. Now, I don't think that's what these seven collectives are gunning for right now. When they're putting themselves together, the point is not to, like, let's create some power to get some leverage. The point is to say, let's get some control over this industry. It's the industry organization. And like there's, you know, you go into water and wastewater, there's the, you know, the AWWA. And they're the people who run the the organization. Um, yeah. So that's We'll pick doing. this up next week. Yeah. We'll pick this up next week. And Brian, you got to see this message. And that was from Haji. You said, the guest appearance is outstanding. So, uh, you know, young Mrs. Young, young Miss Cook made her debut this morning, which is great. We got to get out of here, though. We'll see you next week here. Thanks for watching the Go Blog Roundtable. We'll be back tomorrow here on the Michigan Insider. Until then, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050, WTK, the ticket, the official voice of University of Michigan Sports, Ann Arbor, a cumulus station.